In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. And we're live. Hey, Al, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bradley. Very happy to be here. So kick it off. Tell us who you are, where you come from, who you represent, and then we'll jump right in. Okay, so my name is Eyal Lazar. Um, I lead the policy domain, which is a very interesting domain, and we're going to talk a lot about that uh, and Riskified. Uh, I am based in Tel Aviv, and uh, as I mentioned, I'm very happy to be here talking to you today. Uh, as to who I represent, as I mentioned, that would be Riskified. Um, Riskified is uh, helping some of the biggest names in e-commerce to grow their business by revealing uh, which orders and customers they can trust. Uh, so they can prevent fraud and abuse across across the customer journey, basically helping them to grow their revenue, reduce their cost, and provide an excellent uh, experience for shoppers. Amazing. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the, the podcast. Obviously, Riskified, one of the biggest names in our industry. So we're really excited to have you here. Thank you for, for taking the time. So I wanted to jump in right away. You must have some amazing stories uh, and a, a very interesting angle to fraud prevention. So I don't want to get in your way. Just get started and we'll we'll talk from there. <laughs> oh, there's... So I think that fraud is interesting to begin with. But if we are talking about abuse, abuses is, is I believe, maybe even more creative. Um, so before I share some specific stories, I mean... Policy abuse has a lot of different forms and a lot of different use cases. For example, policy abuse could be people circumventing a source policy uh, to manipulate uh, the returns, um, either mm -hmm. excessive returns or wardrobing where they return news items, um, claiming for refunds, saying they never got their package when they actually did. Um, it could be around resellers, people buying a lot of limited good items in order to sell them on a secondary market and promo loyalty abuse. It goes on and on and on. Uh, but just to frame it a little bit, because I have a lot of different stories. Um, I think that probably the one of the most like interesting use cases is, is, is around returns. Um, so with returns, I think it's amazing the fact that merchants are accepting a return and they expect to get a box with the original goods. And the things that they get in their boxes are just unbelievable. And I'm not just talking about uh, people claiming a return and returning an empty box. There's a lot of creativity that goes into what they put in the boxes. And I don't know. I'm, another, I'm, no, don't I'm know on the edge box. of my seat right now. I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't wait. <laughs> we, I mean, we've heard stories about things from the standard news newsletters and rocks and plants and prescription uh, drugs 
Um, there are, again, the, the, I'm not even talking about the used products. I mean, it seems like some people are actually thinking about what type of treat they can put in a box so they will surprise or delight the merchant and maybe compensate with for drugs. the fact that they never got. Yeah. <laughs> with, with prescription drugs. Sometimes I'm sorry I stole this from you, but here are some Percocets. I hope. Uh... And, and, and you know, I don't understand it. I seriously don't. Uh, <laughs> some could be attributed to mistakes. Uh, by the way, sometimes I, I, I've even heard on one time that people got like actual marijuana. I don't know. Wow. I don't know if they were happy or sad about it, but this is what they got. Uh, and, and again, the creativity that goes into what I'm going to put in the box today is just unbelievable. Um, but some, <laughs> some interesting stories is, is that the, the fact that sometimes the box, even they, it doesn't have to come back to the merchant. Um, I've talked about like creativity. Um, like a very interesting MO is that, um, that people are printing the return label using disappearing ink. Wow. And again, really? that's not very common. Not yeah, that's not wow. very common. But this is just to go to, to show like the creativity that goes into this. Um, they use disappearing ink and then they ship an empty envelope with a return label on it. So by the time it reaches a distribution center, it's just a blank uh, label on an envelope and it's gone missing. And there are so many like empty envelopes and people don't really understand what's going on. Uh, and that's even before I talk about just actual printing a shipping label and, and manipulating the data there. So yeah, so let I want to dive in. I want to dive into this because it it's really interesting what you're saying that people are receiving essentially blank envelopes mm -hmm. at such a scale that it's problematic and and making an impact on on their business. And so my question to you is, how is this a thing? How, how is the scale a thing? I get if it's a couple of people, but, but how are people not, how is the industry not come to a place where we have devised a way to kind of circumvent that? I mean, just off the top of my head, just talking to you, I could think of force someone to take a picture of the label with their phone and, and send it. So, I mean, there, there are ways to circumvent it. How can it be that no one is attacking that problem, How, that it's that scale? That's a very good question. And the thing about policy abuse, um, I think there's two things about it. First of all, the, it's, it's not new, but the scale uh, of, the, of, of abuse growth in the last two years is, is inconceivable. Um, We're seeing like this is growing at 70%, 75% rate year over year. So by the time you understand that you might have a problem, the problem is huge. And by the time you understand how to prevent the basics of MOs, then the problem is enormous and it's so complicated and it's so diverse. And I can talk on and on about the, the different um, challenges merchants have in, in, in tackling this. But um, unlike conventional fraud, where I, I think that organizations are structured around loss prevention, mm -hmm. loss prevention is around, and, and a lot of like CMP fraud is about a basic question. 
is this the true called card holder or not? Now, and you're making a decision on a transaction. With regards to policy, this is a whole different question. It's like, who is this customer and can I trust them? They are probably using their own credentials. So that's a whole different like, set of challenges, but can I trust this person? And do I want to apply friction on a customer level, not on a transaction level? So right. the implications are also huge. And, you know, I, I kind of, and, and, and it's mind blowing because I kind of use this example. Um, there's like a nice coffee shop right next to my house. So there's like a lot of intimacy there. And I go, I order my coffee in the morning and, and then before I come to the office. And, and they know who I am. And even if I forget my wallet, they're probably gonna let me pay tomorrow because they know who I am. And, and it's just a small coffee shop because there's like mm -hmm. that type of intimacy. But when you're talking about e-commerce and like the growth engine for companies, they have no idea who they're dealing with. And I think one of the challenges here is that it's just not the, the it's not just readiness, organizational structure and the size. It's like so easy to perform abuse. You don't have to get stolen credentials. You don't have to use a proxy or anything. You just change your email or change the way you spell your address or change anything of that sort. And they think that you're a different person. And if I were to go to my coffee shop with like sunglasses or like a fake mustache, they wouldn't like mistake me for someone else. But if I right. spell my name differently or my address, then all of a sudden I'm a whole different person in the e-commerce view for, for most. And that makes it so hard to track. And, you know, we shared some examples. Um, one of the examples we, see, we saw that there was this reseller that was buying a lot of like limited goods in order to sell mm -hmm. that on an online store. And we actually saw that they use the same address of, of the same building and like different floor and different apart numbers. So we couldn't really understand. We understood that this is the same person, but we couldn't understand how are they getting away with it? I mean, are they familiar with everyone in the building? Are they familiar <laughs> with, the, with the doorman? Do they wait outside the building? But then when you check it out and check the address, you understand that this is a private residence house. There are no floors. There are no apartments. It's that easy. Mm. They just use their own home address and add a fake apartment, apartment number. And you think it's a different address. So I think gotcha. the biggest challenge here is just understanding who you're dealing with. Yeah. So I want to, it sounds like we have two lines of thought here that I, I want to dive into. One is the reluctance to attack the problem. Mm -hmm. And the other is the technical challenges of attacking the problem. But it sound, sounded like when you started explaining this, that one of the huge mandates that we know goes on all the time here is the idea of the customer friction, right? And in, in a world where most of these things are commoditized, sorry, but a lot of these products are commoditized and you're competing on the experiences that you're providing to people. And so any kind of friction at this point is considered terrible. And so we, we see that across the board, certainly on the, the technical transactional end, but 
as you said, now you're even getting back into, well, now you have like with a policy abuse, you're already talking about someone that the sale is already consummated, essentially. You already have that. And now you're you're even one stage deeper where you're afraid that you you're really turning away a good customer here. You you see this person is already in your ecosystem. Take me through some of the conversations that you have with merchants on that point, just the specific reluctance to even deal with this at all, to, to not just say, well, this is just a cost of doing business because I'm definitely not going to start upsetting every single one of my customers to, to, to enforce this. Sure, sure. So uh, first, I want to be clear. I don't think that there's anyone that I've talked to that just accepts this as, a, as the cost of doing business. Okay. But in order to act upon it, you need a level of confidence, which they're currently lacking. So, and, and, and again, let, let's go back to the difference between fraud and abuse for a second. Fraud, this is a person using stolen credentials. It doesn't matter what's happening. It's a very binary question. Is this the true card holder or not? With abuse, there's a range of abuse. So if that person shopped several times and returned empty boxes, they're probably bad. But even then, maybe the carrier is stealing them. I, I, I don't know. Right. When they're claiming they never got a package, the biggest difference between fraud and abuse is that there is no ground truth. You never know for sure if this is an abusive transaction or not. So there's a whole different set of um, decisions that have to be made and considerations to be accounted for. So it's not, okay, I, I don't have the ability to fight this. I'm just going to accept it as it is. But on the other hand is, okay, I want to apply friction. I don't understand how or to whom and when and what type of friction. Because again, let's go back to CMP fraud approve or reject a transaction. Here, you get a claim. Do you want to, uh, let's say, return? Do you want to add fees? Let's say it's a, 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 um, someone wanting to return something. Maybe you're only going to refund them after you examine the package. Uh, maybe when you're shipping something, you're not sure that that person will, I, will falsify a, a not received claim. So maybe you're telling them, pick it up at a Dropbox. There's so many different things, warn them about abusive behavior. There's so many different things that they can do in different types, in different like places in, in the journey. So again, th this is, this is like just very new. And when, and when I talk to merchants about this, this is an evolution um, of a strategy. There's so much noise around it. So they just, I think the, the people who are addressing this in the best way are taking like a layered approach and they're trying to understand, okay, this is clearly abusive to me. I want to do this type of friction in that type of level. Then this so, is additional layer of use, an additional layer of use. And this is even before we talked about different use cases. Right. So I want to get into, this is a really interesting point. When you're tackling this from a strategic standpoint, what is the general top level best practice of how you even approach that? Uh, how, are you collecting, let's say, data 
about how frequent certain types of attacks are happening? Are you collecting data on the the specific products maybe? And I assume it's probably a combination of all that, but then how are you looking to make a cohesive strategy out of that? What is the what does the process of developing a strategy look like? So I, I would divide that into two. Um, the first one is not even centered around the solution. Uh, it's about how the organization collaborates around that. This is not just a loss prevention problem. How do loss, how does an organization structure themselves to handle this problem? And a lot of the discussions we're having is first about like the preparation of the organizations. How can fraud teams collaborate with customer service, collaborate with logistics, collaborate with digital? I mean, when we're talking about promo abuse, that's like marketing dollars as well. And with and and like with the e-commerce business, how can everyone work together to to have a the right set of KPIs? Because if you think about a customer service representative, who in many cases is the person handling those claims, they mm-hmm. want to get like a five-star rating. They, they want to provide excellent right. service. Even if they suspect mm-hmm. something, this is not part of their KPIs. Right. And even yep, if, sure. if they do suspect, they're not qualified by any means to, to do anything about that. So first of all, it's, it's, an, it's an organizational effort. So, and, and that could be like a, a whole discussion of its own. But, I'm and sure, yeah, That's of like course. number one. The second part is, you probably guessed it, data. Um, so I'll tell you how we look at, the, at the, the, some of the biggest building blocks of a proper solution. So there are a lot of different types of data points that you want to track. From the IPs and the products and the patterns and the claims and the addresses and the names and everything around it. And I think Riskified is fortunate enough to have probably the biggest merchant network around. And we have access to, to this immense amount of data that we can leverage. So I think this is the one of the biggest things. And ideally, if you also understand what's happening outside your shop, you have a huge advantage because it doesn't matter. It doesn't only matter what a customer did in your store. It matters what they did in, in other stores as well. So you need to understand what's happening across the entire merchant network. And just to kind of tell you what I'm thinking of, if you see someone like a new account, first time buy at your store, they could be good. They could be bad. I don't know if that's like, it's something to consider. But if that person this is the first time buying something online ever. This is the first time this email has been used to buy anything ever. And they buy a very expensive item. Then you have like the, these, these like red lights. Oh, who is this person? We have no understanding who that is. So this is why it's really important to get that context. Now, one of the biggest things that you want to create is a good understanding of who the customer is. And, and I think this is also a process because when we talk about customers, customers are not emails. Customers are not names. 
and they're definitely not credit cards. They're not even a combination of, of, of all of those together. Um, and what we determine as, uh, we call this the, the cycle of abuse. And this is why it's so hard to prevent it. Someone uses an, a fresh account, a fresh email, a new name, and they claim that they never got a package or they buy a limited goods item or they use a promo code and they sign up um, to say, it's my birthday uh, and I deserve a discount. Then they're out of privilege. You may not trust them again if they like claimed they never got a package twice. Okay, that's no problem. They open up a fresh account, a new email, right. and then they go at it again. And this is like an endless cycle. So you can't really add friction on an account level and you need to have a, 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 the ability to connect the dots and understand how these different data elements cluster into a single identity, an accurate identity, a customer level identity. And then if you can understand the true buying patterns and abuse patterns by that identity, you can start applying friction with confidence. If you know that the person you're dealing with, this is not their second time on your website and the first time they claiming not to get a package. This is their sixth time. And the, the fourth time they're claiming not to get a package using different emails, then you have the confidence you need in order to apply friction. So I want to, I want to, jump in here and try to connect these two threads that you're you're carrying on here the KPIs and the organizational necessity that this is a, an all hands on deck problem with this need to connect all your customers when you're or you understand who you're dealing with how do you kind of break out the stages of this process so that the customer support rep who's on the phone and is their KPI is how fast can I get this person off the phone with them being happy? And then you're dealing with each person down the chain who's doing what they're doing. It almost seems like this would be an insoluble problem because you're dealing with such a divergence of everybody's role and everybody's KPI and the they're at loggerheads in a lot of instances. It, you know, if you're doing a true fraud check, you don't want your customer service person getting, if they suspect someone you want them talking more. You want to maybe try to get some more information out of them. And so you don't want to get them off the phone quickly. How, how have you seen companies try to, to mesh these two concepts together? That, that's a very good question. And again, abuse is very customer specific. It's very merchant specific. Um, the way we look at, and, and I don't want to talk about the solution all that much, all that much because I don't consider it this just to be like a solution or like a tool they implement. I think that we're providing them with, with a type of capability, a capability to, to have one source of truth. So everyone in the organization could know who they're dealing with in real time. Is this, is, is this person trustworthy or not based on the standards that that merchant defined? And once you have that single source of truth, it's easier for to have the company collaborate around that type of capability. So where, the, and, and again, this is very merchant specific. If you have a automatic claim portal, you can have different routes to customers who are probably abusive or loyal. 
they may not have to go through a certain route. If you're processing a claim, you can understand who you're working with, who you're dealing with. You can understand why this claim is probably fraudulent and you can direct it to a different team. That's another way of going at it. But at the end of the day, it's far easier to collaborate around and, and build these KPIs around truth rather than guesswork. Because when it's guesswork, then it, it becomes chaotic. When you have real insights into who are you dealing with and do they meet your policy standards, then it's far easier to build these KPIs. And so at what level of the organization are people responsible for building these processes and how are they executing on them? Meaning, are you seeing companies do some kind of czar position for lack of a better term, where it's somebody's job to speak with the head of customer support, to speak with the head of sales, to speak with the head of fraud, to speak with the head of digital security, et cetera, et cetera, down the line and get them in a room and say, I need you to be keeping track of this and this and this and this and this. And then they ingest all those reports and they come up with, with a, a strategy for how to move the organization forward. Or do you think a more decentralized model is better where the individual heads of these roles are just collaborating at the behest of the, the C-suite to, to tackle this problem? So from, from that perspective, what we see is that usually it's, it's best to find like the right executive sponsorship to head, like spearhead this, um, this effort. And regarding the actual policies, this is good and this is bad, the, those could even change in a gradual way. Um, one of the one of the biggest mistakes I've seen is that merchants try to tackle on this like huge effort in one bite. And let me tell you, I think it's like near impossible, especially when you're you're dealing with like super large enterprise businesses, like we work with. You have your sellers and you have returns abuse and you have refunds abuse. It's almost impossible to, to say, okay, now I get the full picture and now this is what I'm going to do about it. So you need to take like a substantial bites. You, under, you need to understand the low hanging fruits. For example, um, if we're talking about refunds, then you start with a, a certain policy. It could be more, more, more lenient. Uh, we don't want to have a certain customer with the, different identities claim more than three items not received. Um, we think that's probably excessive or you know what, more than 30% of what they bought. It seems like it might be too much. Then you remove that noise from the equation and the person responsible for determining or like the savings can understand, okay, where am I now? I've cleared out this the, the, this side of, of, of my, my problem. Now, do I want to tackle the, the returns? Now, do I want to tackle resellers? But what, what I see is that when they're trying to like fully even map the problem, that could be a year worth of mapping. And by the time you're done mapping all the problems, then those problems have evolved. It's just like clearing out the, most, the, the, the noisiest part and then we look and looking again at that picture. Okay, now I see different things. Now I understand that there's different things which are important to my business. And then I understand what, what policy I need to do in order to get that out of the way. And I implement that. And then I can see an even clearer picture. 
And then I, and, and, and this is the way I think it, this is the best methodology, just taking reasonable chunks out of it. And this is what we see working. And, and we have like merchants that we've quadrupled their savings over a year. They started with a lenient policy. They understood more potential and they just got stricter or more accurate with the way they want to define abuse over time. 